The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome everyone to One Hour at a Time. Of course, this is John McAndrew and I have the opportunity to co-host once in a while on the show and we hope everybody had a good holiday and didn't eat too much turkey and have woken up. Today our, today our guest is, is, is Dr. Barry Soloff, and I want to tell you a little bit about him and then uh, why he's here. He's a graduate of Yale Medical School and has been practicing addiction medicine for 35 plus years. Uh, regional Chief of the Addiction Medicine for Kaiser Permanente in Southern California. Also an Associate Perse- uh, Professor of Psychology at Los Angeles City College. He's currently, though, the medical director of Michael's House, which is nationally recognized for it's a rehab facility for co-occurring disorders, and they're located in Palm Springs. And uh, your book is The Therapist's Guide to Addiction Medicine. And let me read uh, a little quote about this, Barry, and I think this kind of gives it a good synopsis. Uh, this is from Judy Hollis, and she's a, she's a pioneer in addiction treatment. She says this book should be a standard text in any counselor training program. And it's written in clear and compelling language, gives therapists and counselors the information and tools needed to help their clients successfully recover from addiction. It highlights current trends in addiction treatment as well as uh, a wide range of topics, including neurochemistry, drugs of abuse, process addictions, gambling, food, sex, et cetera, et cetera. There's even pieces about nutrition. Welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and I'm very honored by the fact that you asked me to participate in the show today. So thank you very much. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, on our show, we like to recognize thought leaders in the field, and um, for you to put together this compilation of... uh, of the knowledge that you've gained and, and what addiction medicine really is about. Now, we have people that are in the field that will know exactly what you're talking about, and there's going to be listeners that are kind of lay people like myself. So we'll try to do simple and, and complicated explanations of things. But, you know, my first question for you, sort of the common man's question is, uh, how do you in the medical community uh, describe, you know, what is addiction? Sure. Well, addiction is, uh, I mean, what we, the medical community usually uh, goes uh, on the basis of either the DSM-4, which, as you guys know, is the Bible of psychiatry. Now it's going to be the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, 
and it also goes uh, under by, by the guidelines of the AS, um, of ASAM, which is the American Society of Addiction Medicine. But to drill it down to its fundamental aspects, it's um, uh, it's a situation where when people use drugs or alcohol or engage in certain behaviors, uh, and they lose control and they have suffer adverse consequences. Uh, that's pretty much some of the bullets that really kind of define define the disease. You have to look at a spectrum of, as I put in the book, you have to look at a spectrum of use. I mean, many people in society, but certainly not all, uh, use alcohol or or, or caffeine or, or more significant uh, rewarding substances to alter their consciousness. Uh, some people experiment, and that's the end of it, and they never really go back to using it again. They may do that in college or high school or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people go on and um, start using it more often than that. You know, maybe they go to the ball game every weekend and drink a few beers, so that com- becomes something of a habit. Or every time they go to a party, they have to light up some marijuana, becomes something of a habit, perhaps. And as you move down that that timeline, then you get into people that, you know, get into a situation where they start having, you know, adverse consequences. In other words, if you have a glass of wine with dinner, and you have a nice dinner and you go to sleep, uh, that's not an adverse consequence. But if you have, have, have a lot of wine and a lot of beer and a lot of alcohol and you start beating up your wife... Yeah, you know, then that's an adverse consequence. That's an adverse sociological con- consequence. It's also an adverse legal consequence. If you're drinking and driving and you keep getting DUIs, and you now you have a suspended license and you're still driving anyway, that's a, a further adverse consequences. Now you've got legal adverse consequences. Or supposing you're doing, doing drugs and you're exposing yourself to hepatitis C and other nasty things, uh, or you're drinking and you're getting cirrhosis of the liver, but you're still getting, you're still drinking anyway. Uh, now you're having a medical adverse consequence. So usually, as this disease progresses, the various levels of adverse consequence uh, increase, and uh, so often it's not unusual for the person to have adverse consequences in different areas of their life, different domains of their life. So it's not unusual to have someone that comes into a facility, for example, that has, you know, an overlay of legal problems, marital marital problems, family problems, economic problems, you know, and, and health problems. You know, they all kind of start to overlap. Um, and then, as the disease progresses, it, you get into you get into full-blown dependency, where basically you feel rotten when you're not using. You you don't feel good. You feel dysphoric opposite of euphoric so you you know the the, the the drug condition seems in your in your world is the normative condition and you you can't stop using you know once you start you just can't stop it the, the AA people used to say in, in AA that one drink is too many and two is never enough you know right. so you, you it, it's, it's a progressive illness and you know the, according to the DSM-4 it's what, if you want to use more fancy language they call it a, a maladaptive pattern of drug and alcohol use, and, and, and it could be a behavior too, but a maladaptive pattern of drug and alcohol use characterized by loss of control, compulsive use, use despite adverse consequences, and, you know, as they go on to, to 
refine the definition, they include a lot more stuff in there. But that, that's the, that's the essential niche of it. And you find people with addictive disease, they live a life of constant, uh, drug seeking, drug craving, but their life starts to revolve around drugs. You know, and they, be, they say in the beginning of this illness, you know, sometimes life gets, uh, you know, uh, you know, drug, drugs, they say the dr- drugs get in the way of your life a little bit. Uh, but as the disease progresses, then life gets in the way of your drug use. You're not interested any, anymore in going to work, developing relationships, you know, walking your dog in the park. All you want to do is get high, and what? And you know, you're always seeking after that, uh, seeking after that that level of, of 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 pleasure, or at least that level of satiety. So. It's a spectrum, and you know now, unlike the old DSM-4, now with the DSM-5, now they're talking about things like alcohol spectrum disorder because uh-huh. you know, there's different, you know, there's different types of alcohol, there's different types of abuse. I mean, there are people obviously that drink every day, and then there are people that just drink, you know, periodically, but when they do, they go on a bender. So there's different, you know, there's different levels to the disease. But as I say, the 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 commonality is the loss of control, the compulsive use, the out-of-control dr- drug drug-seeking behaviors that characterize and, and, the, and the adverse consequences that are, are characteristic of the illness. And before we go, you know, I was going to ask you what addiction treatment is, but before we go there, in Chapter 2, you talk about chemistry and, and anatomy, um, the anatomy of the brain. And So what makes the person... They can't stop when it's time to stop. Why can't they stop? And oh, why is, is their brain different? Do you believe that? Or well, we don't. The, answer, the big, the big answer, of course, is we don't know. But we know that a lot of it is genetic. You know, and you know they've done. If they've known it's been a genetic disease for many, many people for many, many years, because in the old days they took, they did studies where they took uh, children out of nurseries who were. Uh, you know, they, they, they were adopted by people because the natural parents couldn't take care of them, so they were adopted by people that, you know, wanted to adopt a family. And they discovered over the years that people whose natural, youngsters whose natural parents um, were alcoholic or addicted, even though they were raised later on by normal people, they wound up becoming addicted. Uh, when they were exposed to addicting substances. So they knew that there was a genetic link. And interestingly enough, uh, children who were raised, who were born of normal genetic parents, who were adopted and taken out of nurseries and raised by other families, those families sometimes were alcoholics and and addicted. But those kids did not turn out to have an addictive disease. They they were able to handle alcohol and other things of that nature uh, in 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 a responsible way. So they they always knew that there was a that was a genetic uh, basis for the thing, but then when they did the human genome project, and they looked at the, the DNA, they've actually isolated areas of the chromosome where they think some of this stuff is, is transmitted. So that's one element of it, is, is that you, what, 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 the way the way it's characterized is that you inherit a biological vulnerability to addiction. But uh-huh. you know, just because your 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 father could have been an alcoholic and you wind up being a heroin addict, so you're not necessarily uh, addicted to the same thing that your parents were. But you have that that biological vulnerability to addiction, and it's just that if you have, and, and you probably know that there's sort of a. a a common sense notion of that. I mean, if your mother is an alcoholic and your father is an alcoholic and your two brothers and two sisters are all alcoholic and you start drinking, 
what do you think your chances of becoming an alcoholic are? You have a very strong genetic load. Now, well, and people buy into that. I just to go back to people buy into that with family members that are diabetic or have cancer or anything. So, if if we go back a while to the disease model of that alcoholism was a disease, they said. Um, and then the early, you mentioned this in your book, and I think it gives a good foundation of where we came from and where we're at now. But the old Minnesota model was you have this disease and you go to 12-step programs, basically. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot else involved. I mean, there were some other little things, but that was the basic premise. It's really changed in the, in the years coming to today where we're talking to you about, you know, what is addiction treatment? Because it's, it's not the same, is it? No, it's, it's not the same. And, and the, the, let's, 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 let's talk about that for a minute. Because yeah. the, even though people develop this, uh, this, this, this uh, unhealthy pattern with respect to drugs and alcohol, many people can just stop on their own. You know, there's an old 12-step myth that once you're, you know, addicted, that, that's it. You can't stop unless you, you know, you bow to a higher power and get involved in 12-step programs. But we know experientially that there are many, many people who are able to stop on their own. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the thing about addiction. That's the thing about alcoholism. It's, it's not one size fits all. Yeah. So what is addiction treatment? It's a combination of things. Um I, I might want to add to something that's very important to state at this point in the process, and you alluded to it yourself when you talked about the Minnesota model. The issue here is recognition that addiction is a disease. Now, when you have a heart problem, I suspect you probably wind up going to a cardiologist. If you have a urological problem, I assume you'll wind up seeing a urologist. Right. But where do you go if you have an alcoholism problem or an addiction problem? The most common place that people get help for their addiction problem or, or not is jail. Jail and prison is the most common place in the United States where, you can, where you, your addiction or alcoholism problems are, are some, some, in some way or other addressed. Um, and then outside of jail and prison, people might go, as you said, to following the Minnesota model uh, to an AA meeting. So they're seeing an addiction counselor. They may go to a they may go to a psychologist. They may go to a social worker. They may just go to walk into a free AA meeting and you know get a mm-hmm. have someone be their, be their sponsor. But note that none of those none of the above mentioned people are medical professionals. And I'm going to jump. Problem, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to go to break. And I think it's a good place to stop. And we'll okay. We'll pick up could be uh, you know why this is so important. And okay, we're talking sure. with Barry Soloff, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned 
common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's Westbridge.org, Family Center Recovery for Co-Occurring Mental Illness and Substance Abuse Disorders. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. Now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuzo to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. Uh, we've been talking with, with Barry Soloff, and he is a doctor, and I want to let everybody know his book is The Therapist's Guide to Addiction Medicine. This is a handbook for addiction counselors and therapists, and it's available at Central Recovery Press. Um, and, Barry, do you have a website that you would like to give us? Oh, not really. I mean, the Michael's House, where I, I'm the medical director, has a website. Very good. The book's, the book's also available on Amazon. But, on Amazon, and yeah, and if uh, we'll mention it again a little later in the show. And, and it, it is a handbook. It is very comprehensive. It, it contains a whole lot of information, and we, we've kind of been talking about the medical definition of addiction and uh, sort of what we've done in the past. And I asked Barry, uh, you know, what is addiction treatment? And he made a very compelling statement. It's just the way we treat most people that are addicted these days is we send them to prison. And um, I think, you know, the next follow-up question is, uh, you know, what are the alternatives and why do we need alternatives? Uh, Well, we need alternatives because there's a lot of people in the United States and the world that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And if you just go on the basis of the assertions by the World Health Organization, and the American Medical Association and others, you have a situation where you have maybe 8% of people who drink have an alcohol misuse disorder of one kind or another. That's a tremendous percentage of people. And uh, then you get to about 2 or 3% of the population that's addicted to drugs, and, and that includes prescription drugs. And then if you add cigarettes to this, and nicotine addiction is a very serious addiction, um, because you, you get, depending on the state you live in, uh, here, I'm, I'm speaking to you in California where we have kind of a re- relatively low rate of cigarette smoking, but it's still one in five, 20 percent. Uh, but some states like Kentucky and Tennessee, it's 30 percent of the population smoke, and uh, that's an addiction. And the leading causes of death in the Western Hemisphere are heart disease, cancer, and stroke. So you have a drug that 25 or 20 percent of the population uses that causes an average of 10 years of life lost uh, just from using that one drug. So 
and then with alcoholism, the, the, the statistics are, are even worse because a lot of the causes of death are really not mentioned on the death certificate because somebody will die of, of cirrhosis of the liver, but that's really from alcohol. They'll die from a motor vehicle accident, but that's really from alcohol. They'll fall at, at work and hit their head, and that's from being high or loaded. So, you know, it's, it's, when you think about the, the morbidity and the mortality of drug abuse and drug dependency and alcoholism in society, it's absolutely enormous. And plus now, suicide, we talk about and, the fact you know. that people get treated in jail and prison, but people, as I said, instead of going to a physician that specializes in addiction, uh, like you would with, let's say, if you're, if, as I said before, if you had uh, serious headache problems, you'd see a neurologist. If you have dental problems, you'd see a dentist. But for some reason, when people are faced with an addiction problem or, uh, or alcohol problem, they tend not to seek help from a medical professional. Uh, part of it is because the United States government prohibited doctors from treating addicts in 1914 when they passed the Harrison Act. They said oh, this was a job for the police, not for the medical profession. So for many years, physicians were prohibited from doing research or treating people with alcoholism and drug addiction. And it kind of grew up uh, by the non-medical people, not that they don't provide excellent and wonderful services, but... What's happened in the field is that now that medical, that now that medicine has now recognized what AA said in the 1930s that alcoholism and addiction is a disease, now there's a host of research. Every major university now has a, a department that studies new medications and so on. But but because doctors were prohibited from treating addicts and alcoholics for decades. A whole field of counseling grew up, drug and alcohol counselors, social workers, okay. um, uh, KDAC counselors, uh, therapists of various persuasions, but then they're not knowledgeable for the most part about the research that's being done at the medical schools of the country. And so when I teach a class, like I teach a class at Los Angeles City College for addiction counselors, when I mention to the students that we have medications now for alcoholism, they look like they look at me like I'm crazy. And you know, it's like it's like if you went to a I mean, these are good people. It's not that they're bad people, but they're not exposed to the medical uh, science that has now been brought to the field. It'd be like you going to see a psychologist because you're depressed for months and months and months, and your therapist never bothers to tell you that you might possibly be helped from an antidepressant, not simply from talk therapy. I mean, that would be a kind of malpractice, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. But addiction counselors are practicing all over the place and don't know the diddly squat about any of the medications that we have for alcoholism. They don't know diddly squat about some of the some of the medications that we have now for opiate addiction. And you know, it's 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 pathetic. So I wrote the book because I was teaching the class and I couldn't find any books on the subject that really dealt with the specific things that addiction counselors ought to know. I, I, here's a question for you, and, and I anticipate the answer, of course, or I wouldn't ask it, but I know there's been, we've had other guests on the show, and I've heard them discuss this before, uh, the 12-step approach, which is spirituality, abstinence, and now the addiction treatment approach, which is assisted, uh, medically assisted, medically managed, um, detoxes and treatments and all that. So... 
these two worlds definitely have uh, you know built a fence between each other. Uh, they're slowly coming down. There's pros and cons to everything, but I think it's you know in addition to I love the word in addition to uh, as opposed to instead of you know it's not black and white. Um, it's not either or. There are you know each person is individual. And Absolutely as we, right. Yes. You know, and I th- I think this is fairly new. I think you're a bit of a pioneer by coming out and being actually talking about this because the research. Is it fair to say it's pretty new on the uh, pros and cons of medically assisted treatment and all the different drugs that are used? The, the research is fairly new. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's relatively new, but I mean, it depends on how you define new. But for the last decade, there's been a lot of things coming out. Uh huh. So there's an app for that. <laughs> It's and it's just chapters, a great, yeah. it's a great <laughs> title for a chapter. It makes you want to go to it, but it talks about managing detoxes and the different types of things, which, which are just uh, really good things to know. And, and some of this is for the layman as well, people like me that just kind of don't know the, the real particulars. But kind of lay out this chapter, because this comes, I, I suspect, from a lot of experience in your life. Oh yeah, because you know, I de- you know, being the, being an MD, I detox people from these things. I didn't yeah. provide counseling services, and I, you know, I, I tell the students, look, I don't expect you to go out there and and not have to, you know, de- I'm not asking you to detox people, but I think you ought to know at least have one class to know what it is we mean by detox. What do we do? Mm-hmm. And, and to know simple, I mean, they should know basic things, like a basic thing for, that an addiction counselor or even a member of the public should know. While that, like for example, that cocaine addiction is a serious addiction, but there's no significant physical withdrawal, and, and methamphetamine is is a terrible addiction, but it's not a it's not a, a a condition that requires a medical detox. Okay, on the other hand, if you don't medically detox a serious alcoholic, or a serious alcoholic that's also swallowing tranquilizers like Valium and Xanax. If you don't provide the proper medical the medications in the proper in the in the proper setting like a hospital or a detox center, uh, a lot of those patients will die from from delirium tremens, from DTs, from from seizures, um, and, and so they need to, the counselors need to know what things are serious and need medical intervention and what things well they're all serious okay but what 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 requires the intervention of a, of a medical professional, not just a counselor, and they need to know that. They need to know that open. And I used to see this all the time when I, I when I saw a lot of patients. I don't do that see that many patients as, as much as I used to, but because I kind of run these programs. But uh, when I saw a lot of these patients, I mean, a lot of family members would come in with their with their kid. When I say kid advisedly, but they'd bring their young their their their, their son in and say, "Oh, we're really worried." He's, he just stopped, you know, taking his oxycontins and heroin yesterday, and he looks looks like looks like hell. Is how dangerous is this? Can can you put him in a hospital? And I tell him there's no need to put him in a hospital because there's no danger from opiate withdrawal, and there's, there's danger from opiate overdose. People die all the time from opiate overdose, but they don't generally die from opiate withdrawal. It's just very, very, very uncomfortable. And, of course, we have medications to treat that. But I think for uh, the public and for nurses and for, and for addiction counselors and therapists and psychologists, they need to know 
what we mean by detox, how we do it, what things you need detox from, and what, what things you don't need to be detoxed from. Yeah, it's very, very important, and I think anybody that I remember hearing my parents talk about Uncle Larry and a couple of folks who died in a hospital, and your information now about you know doctors being pushed away from this process explains a whole lot of things. Well, I think all of us have in our history someone who died in the hospital where they strapped them down, you know, and that was it. And medically, they were not much attended to. And, and we, I think that historically goes through the history of addiction. And I think, you know, when I, when I read this chapter, I think it's important for anybody to read about this, even parents with kids that are in trouble, to understand, you know, what's going on. Because it is life and death, and um, you need to know medically what's going on, what's going into their body. Um, when we come back, we're going to take a little break and we're going to talk about medically assisted treatment and recovery. And we'll talk about some of these drugs and we'll talk about a little bit of the controversy that might surround it. And maybe we'll get some stuff out in the open. And I know we're all going to learn something. We'll be back with Barry Solon. listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. We've been talking to Barry Soloff, and his, he has a, a, a handbook out, and it's really um, a wonderful book for information for for everyone. But it's it's really designed for professionals that practice in the addiction treatment field, and it's called the Therapist Guide to Addiction Medicine: A Handbook for Addiction Counselors and Therapists. 
And uh, it's available on Amazon, or you can look it up in Central Recovery Press. And he's also the medical director at Michael's House in Palm Springs, California. And uh, we've covered some pretty good ground here, Barry. And I, I, um, when you told me in the first segment about how doctors were kept out of, were not allowed to treat alcoholics and addicts, and the government kind of intervened and said you're not allowed to do that. And as a result, I think many of us know of family members uh, long past gone that died in hospitals and emergency rooms because the medical treatment was not sufficient, it wasn't there. We talked about your chapter on detoxing and how important that is when you, you teach and you tell your students about this. Um, there's, there's many important medical components to all of this that we and and every really good treatment center now has a medical director and that's evidence of how important you are so we're to the chapter about medically assisted treatment and um, so can you tell me how you get involved with that and how that's changed over the years and what the future of that is yeah, and again, it gets it gets back to this whole thing about different different strokes for different folks. Uh, traditionally, uh, what ha- what happened in when I was uh, seeing patients over at Kaiser, um, patients would like uh, them in, and we could we'd detox them, and um, then they would meet with uh, their therapist or counselor or nurse, and and they would start coming to the groups and, and that we have at, at the facility, and then I would see them a, a week or two later once. You know, their vital signs were okay and they were stable. And I say, how's it going for you? And sometimes patients would say, and I'd say, look, you know, we have medication. I'll give you an example. I'd say, look, we have, I know you, I know you came here for alcoholism and I know that you're, you're not shaking like you were last week. And uh, I understand you have a good relationship now that you're developing with your counselor and that you go into some AA meetings and how's that working for you? Okay, now let me just tell you about some of the medications we have for alcoholism. Now, I'm not saying you need these medications or you have to take these medications. I'm just letting you know what, what's out there. And you tell me if this, you think any of these medications can assist you in your goals. And I tell them about things like antabuse. You know, antabuse is a pill that's been around a long time. It makes you sick if you drink. Uh-huh. And it sounds like a strange pill, but if you have to go to your daughter's wedding uh, next week and you're afraid you're going to drink while, you get, while, you, while you're there, you might want to pop a few of these before you go to the wedding and take one every day while you're there. You're probably going to be too afraid to drink. Uh, and we also have a camperset or a camperal, which kind of works on the on the on the neurotransmitters it uh, it uh, it calms the, the the system down to such an extent that your cravings are diminished i now tell the patient are you having cravings because this might help you if you're having cravings i i might tell them about uh, vivitrol which is an opiate blocker that they get an injection and it stays in their system for 30 days and if they drink they're not going to get the high because it blocks the in, endorphin release and we have other medications as well either off-label or that's been around for a long time and I just ask the patient do any of these medications interest you and the patient might say you know doc I, I met with my counselor my family is supportive I've gone to some AA meetings I'm doing just great uh, thank you very much I'll get back to you if I think I need everything but I, I think I'm going to be okay and I say that's swell you know I'm here if you need me then the next patient might say, you know, Doc, I'm on a very slippery slope. I'm thinking of using all the time. I, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm really afraid that I'm going to slip. I'm really afraid I'm going to relapse. Please give me everything you've got. Uh, I want to take everything. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it depends on the patient. 
And so the as a medical the doctor. The thing about what we did at Kaiser was that we, it was really an integrated program. So if they needed psychiatric meds, because a lot of these patients have comorbid psychiatric difficulties like depression and anxiety, which is driving some of their use, uh, we'd have, we had those medications available. If they needed medications for craving, we have those available. If they just needed simple counseling, and I don't mean to disparage counseling as an essential component of recovery, but some people needed, you know, maybe more sessions with their therapist, more sessions with their counselor. They have a lot to get off their chest. They have a very dysfunctional family. The point is you attack many, many different things in the course of their treatment. You help them with their paperwork so they can uh, have days off of work to to come to the program. They may need uh, papers signed for the Family Leave Act. Uh, They may need uh, papers signed, you know, for their insurance company. They may need to somebody to help that helps them deal with the court because they may be, maybe they were busted for a DUI. So you have to you have to work with different levels of problems that these patients come to you with, and, and some of them don't require much in the way of a medic, medication interface, but other patients have quite a bit of that. Now, when you sit down, you sit down with this uh, whatever you will call them, you know, the patient. Um, I'm assuming, or maybe I'm assuming wrong, but this is not something that just goes on with you and the patient because uh, I guess the devil's advocate question is, well, how is this person in shape physically or mentally to make a decision like that, especially if they're feeling shaky um, and, you know, maybe they don't even really know what they're feeling truly. Is, Is it safe to give an addict or an alcoholic um, the responsibility of making that decision so early on in treatment, whether they should be medically assisted or not. How would you answer that? Well, I think it depends on, it depends on the kind of patient you're seeing. I mean, some patients are very high-functioning. You know, I have, I have, I've had patients over the years that were other physicians. They were doctors. They were lawyers. They, they were, you know, they were the head of big companies. They, they participate in their treatment decisions all the time. I mean, they go see the back doctor, and the back doctor says, well, you can get physical therapy or you can get surgery, you want to try the physical therapy first, you know, right. or, you, you, or, you, or you, if somebody has uh, acne, you try different medications and you go through the different side effects of the different medications and you, you know, so I mean this give and take uh, thing happens all the time in medicine. Now, you're making a very good point. I mean, some people with very serious addictions have a significant amount of either psychiatric comorbidity or cognitive impairment or both. And so often, what I used to do is I'd have the, if it was a husband, I'd have the wife in the room. If it was the wife, I'd have the husband in the room. If it was the kid, I'd, you know, the parents would be in the room. Of course, the, you know, you have to have a willing patient. Sometimes, sometimes the family relationship is so strained that the person doesn't want their family members in the room. But if they're willing to have their family members in the room, this is something that we can discuss as a group. So everyone leaves that office with a good feeling that everyone's, you know, everyone's been heard. And, and you know, because sometimes the patient may say, I want to take this pill, that sounds like a good idea. And the wife might say, I don't want you on that pill. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know and so by having, by explaining what the purpose of the pill is to everybody, you get, you get more collateral help in, in, in the management of that patient. Uh, so I, I don't think it's... Uh, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, if you have a, a person who's so psychiatrically impaired and so cognitive, cognitively dulled by the drugs and alcohol, maybe the patient do, does need to be in an inpatient, not an outpatient program where the patient can be monitored 
you know, over the course of 30 or 60 days. So the evidence-based practices right away. For, for dual diagnosis treatment, you know this better than I do, though. I know we've had folks on the show, and they talk about a couple of the really important components are the family being involved, and I think you just described one of the reasons is it's sort of a team approach to this person's recovery, what's good, what's bad, and then treating both of those illnesses co-occurring in the same place at the same time. That's right. It's very, very important. And that's really what your job is, isn't it? Yes, I, I think that's my job. But the same thing goes with in terms of in terms of uh, a psychiatric illness. I mean, I, I think a good psychiatrist would tell a patient who has got depression or anxiety, "Look, you know, we do have powerful medications, but there's some very good reasons why you need to learn some some techniques to handle your anxiety. You know, have you tried psychotherapy? Maybe you should try psychotherapy before we put you on these antidepressants. I mean, let the patient participate in the decision. You say, try the psychotherapy, try group therapy." try this, try that, just build some exercise and nutrition into your life, uh, you know, go to the park, you know, <laughs> uh, go to church if you're spiritual, you know, and, and, and then come back. And if you're not feeling better in a, in a few weeks, I'll put you on some Prozac. You know, it's, sure. it's, a, it's, a, it's a dialogue that you have with the patient. And you let the patient participate somewhat in, 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 in their care and, and, and some of the health decisions being made. So, you know, I, I, um, what I sense here is that you're a, a doctor who has a great understanding of recovery, and that's why you work at Michael's house. And I think, I think it, it's, it's important for you to, to go out there and be a voice and to, to educate doctors on what part of these things in recovery uh, include, because I think what we're finding is that there are doctors who probably just prescribe medications <laughs> and uh, are not including the family or not including uh, a conscientious, you know, uh, time to think about this, whether it's good for the, the patient or not. I mean, and that's the trouble we're running into that we hear on the downside of particularly Suboxone and some other of the drugs that definitely have benefits but have been misused, you know, not just by the patients. Well, they're misused by the patients. But how can doctors better be accountable for how they're prescribing these things? Now, you describe the process, how you do it, which is, sounds like the right way. Are, how can you carry that message as a doctor? Well, I do the best I can. I, you know, I give talks uh, and uh, I publish the book, but it, it's, uh, it's something that... Uh, uh, you know, you and I and other people can all think about what the best way is to, to modify behavior and change behavior. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's a complex issue because you're, you're quite right. I, I mean, you take that drug that you, you know, I don't know if you actually mentioned it, but, you know, we, it's pretty well known these days that a lot of opiate addicts take Suboxone or Buprenorphine or Subutex, same thing, one's a brand name, you know, for opiate addiction. Now, in some hands, in some patients, it's a life-saving drug. And other right. people, it's just another way to get high. And, and and for a third group of people, it's it's another it's a way to make money because they can they can um, they can uh, sell it to people and and uh, you know and uh, and let's um, uh, forget the word, but they they they, 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 they it's, it's used for it, it's, it's it's fed into the it's diverted it's diverted into 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 the drug culture to be used as a replacement when people can't get their hands on oxycontin. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, it all depends on the person. You know, some, some people, these things are life-saving things, and for other people, it's, it's more poison. Right. Well, and having, I mean, a book like this is really beneficial. You mentioned Hazelden in the book, which is using some medically-assisted components of their treatment, which is really the place that started with the 12-step model. Under supervision, and as you say, uh, with everyone involved, these, there's a lot of benefits to all this. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more. In the end of your book, you have some really good practical things about where anxiety might come from um, and healthy ways to eat and uh, other things to do uh, as alternatives to the medically assisted stuff. So we'll be back. Okay, thanks. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Nine different energy systems make up the energy body. Energy is all around us and connects us. Energy exerts a major control over our biology and is a big reason why you should be tuning in to energy medicine and optimal health with your host, Dr. Ann Deatley. We'll explore energy balance techniques, tips, and patterns to keep your flow of energy optimal to maintain maximal health. By adopting these techniques, you will keep your energy body and physical body in harmony. Listen for Energy Medicine and Optimal Health, Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Helping you make informed decisions for your life. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back, everyone. Again, this is John McAndrew, and we've been talking with Barry Soloff, Dr. Soloff, and uh, his new book, which is really a handbook, is called The Therapist's Guide to Addiction Medicine, a handbook for addiction counselors and therapists. And uh, I think there's many, many people would agree that we're grateful that you've put this information together, and uh, it teaches all of us a lot. I think we have listeners that are in recovery, uh, new and old, and we have a lot of professionals in the field that listen to our show. And I, uh, you know, this is a very exciting field about medicine finally holding hands with the rest of the recovery community and doing what we can to help people. So you're kind of in a 
exciting field right now, aren't you? Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling sick. You know, I'm, I'm turning 66 on my next birthday, and I've been doing this for over 35 years. And uh, boy, did we come a long way! I'm telling you, all we had back back when was just you know AA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's AA, or there's the door. You know, that's it. Uh, and maybe, you know, when I was in medical, let me tell when I was in medical school. They never taught us anything about addiction. My only requirement in medical school, and as I recall in residency, was to go to an AA meeting. And I remember seeing a patient with cirrhosis of the liver in the hospital, and I was yellow, you know, from liver failure. Right. And uh, the professor was talking about how we treat liver failure, and I said, well, why does the guy have liver failure? And the guy, and the, I was told, well, he's an old drunk. Well, uh, okay, but maybe at one, at one point in his life, he was a young drunk. So how come we're not talking about, I didn't say it then, I wasn't that sophisticated, but how come we're not treating about, talking about the cause of this liver failure and not how to treat liver failure? So I, I've seen the whole spectrum where it was never really taught to me. I had to learn it after I finished you know, uh, residency. Right. Uh, and now I've seen this proliferation of programs. And, and, and you know, we have, look at it this way. Look how many government agencies are falling over each other to try to get a handle on this. You've got the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. You've got NIDA, which is the National Institute of Drug Abuse. You've got NIAAA, National Institute of Alcoholism and Alcohol Abuse. You've got SAMHSA, Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. I can go on and on. <laughs> Everybody's trying to get into it. It has an opinion on this, on, the, on, this, on this subject matter. And as I was telling you during the break, I was telling somebody in the break, what's so exciting is that we are also in the pipeline right now. There's probably a dozen medications to treat alcoholism and addiction, including very new areas of research involving psychosurgery and new areas of research in, in, in involving vaccine, vaccines. They, they are working on a cocaine vaccine. So if you, do co- if you use the drug cocaine, the antibodies attack it, and so it doesn't have any psychoactive effects. And they've developed, uh, you know, they've they, they, they done some work, you know, from, from the people that did work with Parkinson's disease and epilepsy, mm-hmm. where they have these very dramatic cutting-edge treatments called electrical deep brain stimulation. And it was, it's been very helpful for treating very severe cases of Parkinson's and epilepsy. Well, now they're finding that that can help with, with cravings. And, and so for people with, you know, life-threatening addiction, they can actually, they're thinking of, of are using these uh, tiny electrodes to simply short circuit the cravings whenever they occur. You could press a little bar. So we're 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 really in, in an amazing period of time with all the different medications coming out and not and novel ways to to think about how we're going to treat this illness besides just going to a twelve step meeting. In your ideal world, Barry, if you had to create your perfect place for person with addiction problems had to come, it would be your hospital. What, what are the components that you think would be best to integrate all these, uh, whatever you would call them, the 12 step and the medicines and the therapy and physical and dietary health? What would be your ideal place for a person to come so that you can integrate all these things together. Well, I like to think that Michael's house is one of them. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, patients are seen by a medical person. If, if necessary, they're seen by a psychiatrist. They're seen by a therapist who are very committed, social workers. We have a department that handles all their 
client care services, like their insurance problems and their uh, and their you know uh, off work off work papers and family leave papers, and they have family therapy, so the family gets involved and. Uh, because you need, you know, it takes a village. You need the family support. You know, if you imagine if you're an alcoholic uh, and you go back to your family and they're all drinking in front of you and they're drinking, they got a problem themselves. It's going to be hard to stay sober. So you got to look at the family dynamics. You got to look at the uh, at their relationships, uh, at their friends, at their at their if they have psychiatric comorbidity that and that, that needs to be recognized and treated. So you need you need you can't just hold out a sign and say. Which many people do on the internet, by the way. We come here, we treat addiction, and all, all they have there really are are uh, group meeting rooms and the twelve steps on the wall. You know, I have, I, don't, I don't want you to think I'm against twelve step. I think twelve steps wonderful. I think twelve step is absolutely terrific. You know, there's a twelve step program for airline pilots called Birds of a Feather. <laughs> they have these funny names. The twelve step program for doctors is a 12-step group for doc for lawyers, the 12-step group for police officers. That one's called the Peace Officers Fellowship. There's a 12-step meeting for just about everything and everyone. But there's also non-12-step meetings too. There, 12-step, you know, emphasizes a higher power and a spiritual approach to addiction, and that works and resonates for a lot of people. But a lot of people are atheists, and they don't really, they don't, they don't, doesn't resonate. The, the, the higher power thing doesn't work for them. And so you have SOS, Secular Organization for Sobriety. You have Smart Recovery. You have Women for Sobriety. You have Life Ring. You have Unhooked. Many people don't know that there are other support groups out there besides 12-step support groups. You have to find the right. So I think support groups are very helpful for, helpful for addiction and recovery. I also think support groups are very helpful for other chronic illnesses. There's a great support group for people with chronic hepatitis. There's a great support group for people with cancer. And support groups are, are very valuable in medicine. And they're especially about, valuable in people in recovery. But you just can't recommend only one philosophy of support group because there's many out there. How and when you um, we talked about detox, and then uh, you know I'd like to know just quickly, and we just have a few few minutes left. But you know the, the difference between maintenance and tapering. You know when you detox and then taper, or the person's maintained on some levels of medication. And this is a medically assisted treatment, of course. And how long do you stay in touch with the people generally uh, to monitor that, to share in their recovery? Uh, let's say, for example, at Michael's house, how long does that last? Uh, we have an aftercare program that follows them for months and years after they leave. Okay. Um, but, uh, and then Kaiser did a good job of it, too, but... Um, but in, in, in the Kaiser system, we used to have patients on very, very, on, basically on, on Suboxone maintenance uh, programs. Not all patients, of course, only a subset. But when, you know, when they're on a long-term maintenance type program, sometimes yeah. they have to be monitored, you know, every few weeks, every few months. So, I, you know, we're at the end of the show, and we could probably go another hour, and we at Westbridge, and one hour at a time, really want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for putting the book together. I think we come to an agreement that, that nothing is a cure. 
And this no, we is don't a, life, a, a lifelong process. We don't have a cure for diabetes either. We don't have a cure for asthma. Yeah. We don't have a cure for most diseases in medicine these days. It's, it's management of a chronic illness. That's what that's what the treatment yeah. of addiction is. Just like yeah. if you had chronic asthma, just if, as if, if you had you know diabetes, high blood pressure. We don't cure your high blood pressure. We give you medications and life and life strategies to help keep your blood pressure down. But we don't Very give you a good. shot, and your high blood pressure goes away. Check out his book, <laughs> The Therapist's Guide to Addiction Medicine by Barry Soloff. And we thank you, and please stay tuned. Uh, next week, we'll have another show. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion, one hour at a time. We'll see you next week.